the Redemption Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. We're going to finish up our uh, love series this week. And we're going to start a brand new sermon series that I am really, really excited about next week. But let me go ahead and forewarn you. That sermon series isn't seeker-friendly. We're going to answer some hard questions in that sermon series that we start next week. And we're going to take a hard look in the mirror at what kind of commitment and allegiance we actually have to Christ. But before we get to that, we are going to finish up the love series. Have you enjoyed this series? I'm glad. I'm glad. I want you to enjoy these messages. Sometimes you're not going to, and it's going to be for your own good. But overall, I do hope that you enjoy these messages and that you grow and mature from them. But we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. I'm sure you've heard this passage of Scripture before, but today you're going to hear it again. We're going to read the first three verses. If you would stand for the reading of God's word, then we'll pray and you can be seated. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profited me nothing. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you help me to minister this message Tailor it, make it specific and intimate to every individual under the sound of my voice. Empower, enable, and strengthen me to deliver this message as you have delivered it to me. Lord, I take no ownership or authorship or credit because I know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Lord, we give you all the praise, all the honor, all the acknowledgement. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Give the Lord some praise. I want to wrap this series up today with a message that is entitled Mature Love Stories. And I think that it's only fitting that I begin this sermon by sharing a mature love story of my very own. If you didn't send your kids to the nursery or the children's church, let me forewarn you, listener discretion be advised because this is a mature love story. It was about 10 o'clock at night in the middle of winter and a fresh blanket of six inches of snow had fallen on the ground. The fireplace was flickering in the darkness and candles were releasing a fresh aroma into the atmosphere as soft background music created an ambiance 
for Carrie and I to stare deeply into one another's eyes. You remember that, Carrie? (laughs) Carrie and I were staring into each other's eyes and getting ready to retire for the evening. When that special moment was abruptly disrupted by the ringing of my phone. I picked up my phone and looked at the number at the call, on the caller ID and I didn't recognize the number. And those of you who know me well know that I have this weird personality tick that will not allow me to ignore a number that I don't recognize. If you ever want me to answer the phone, call me from a number that I don't recognize because my curiosity compels me to answer the phone. So even though I tried to sit it down and walk away that night, I made probably the worst decision I made that night and answered the phone. I said, hello, and to my surprise, the voice on the other end of the line was someone who had recently left the church. This was someone that I had spent a lot of time with, someone that I had developed a relationship with, some, someone who I had grown close to, and someone who said and did things that completely devastated me completely and totally broke my heart. I had not talked to this person since the day they informed me that they would no longer be back to my church. So I was surprised to hear from them. But they go on to tell me that they are stuck in the snow and that the only person in the whole wide world that they could think of calling was me. So this person proceeds to ask me to get out at 10 o'clock at night in the middle of winter with six inches of snow on the ground and pick them up and drive them home. Now in my flesh, I was thinking, why don't you get your new pastor to do it? He's so much more anointed than I am. So much more gifted than I am, I am sure that he would not care one bit to get his favorite new church member a ride home. I'm sure that wouldn't bother him at all. In my flesh, I was thinking, why don't you get one of your new church buddies to do it? We weren't sanctified enough for you, and now you're having your cookouts with somebody else, so why don't you ask one of them to come pick you up and take you home? But in my spirit... I heard Romans 12, 20 that says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And if he's stuck in the snow, go pick him up. I added that last line for emphasis, but you know what I mean. So in that moment, I resisted the urge to speak out of my flesh, and I yielded to my spirit. I told Carrie that her knight in shining armor would have to depart for a season, but that the separation would make our hearts grow fonder and that I would return just as quickly as when I left and I put on my shoes and I went out at 10 o'clock at night 
In the middle of winter with six inches of snow on the ground and I picked this person up and I smiled with every tooth in my head and I asked them how they were doing and how things were going and I told them that I missed having them around and when I dropped them off at their house, I smiled like Miss America, like I had no problem in the world. Now some of you would accuse me of being fake. But that's not what I was. I was crucifying my flesh. Sometimes when you feel fake, all that it really is is you crucifying your flesh, not doing what you feel like doing. So that's not a big, inspiring, miraculous story, but that's, that's one of my mature love stories. It was one of those moments in my life where I realized I was growing up in the Lord. I was progressing in the Lord. Of course, there are far better mature love stories than that one, and I want to share one with you from the Bible. It's known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus begins this story by saying there was a Jew who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And at some point during his journey, he was robbed. The thieves that robbed him took all of his clothing, all of his belongings, and then they wounded him, leaving him semi-conscious and half-dead laying on the side of the road. Not long after that incident, a priest came by and saw this man. But for one reason or another, the priest passed by him on the other side of the road and did nothing. Maybe the priest did not want to risk becoming ceremonially unclean because if a priest came in contact with blood, he was considered defiled. But whatever the case, this, this priest put principles ahead of people and anytime we put principles ahead of people, we miss an opportunity to impact someone's life. Jesus didn't die for rules. Jesus didn't die for protocol. Jesus didn't die for policy. Jesus died for people. Yet this priest, the one who should have contributed, the one who should have got involved, the one who should have participated, the one that should have helped this man out did absolutely nothing. After that, a Levite came by. Levites were also leaders in the temple. But when he saw this man, he passed by him as well. Finally, there was a Samaritan. Now, you have to understand that Samaritans were considered theologically illiterate. There were a lot of things that they got wrong. A lot of things that they didn't interpret correctly. A lot of things that they read into Scripture rather than getting out of Scripture. But this Samaritan came by and he saw this man. And as he looked upon this man in his desolate condition, I'm sure that there were a million excuses that he could have used not to help this man. Isn't there always a million excuses that we can use not to get involved, not to give, not to contribute, not to help out? I'm sure there were a million excuses. He could have been paranoid 
and thought to himself, what if this is a trap? What if this is a trick? What if this is an ambush? What if I run over to help this man and when I let my guard down, these thieves jump out of the bushes and do to me what they did to him? I hope you know that too much paranoia and skepticism will keep you from doing anything for anyone. I'm not telling you to be naive. I'm not telling you to be gullible. Do your due diligence. Go through the process. But suspicion and doubt, too much suspicion and doubt will keep you from doing anything for anyone. There's always a chance they're going to buy beer with it. There's always a chance they're going to misuse what you give them. There's always a chance that they're taking you for granted. There's always a chance that they're not who they say they are. There's always a chance that they're not what they say they are. But if you have too much suspicion and doubt, it will paralyze you and keep you from doing anything for anyone. So at some point, you're going to have to expect the best of people instead of assuming the worst if you want to be the arms and feet of Jesus. The Good Samaritan could have been paranoid. He could have been accusatory. He could have thought, what was this man doing traveling by himself anyways? No one traveled the road from Jerusalem to Jericho by themselves. If it hadn't been for his reckless choice to travel alone, he wouldn't be in this condition. I'm not going to bail him out of a situation he got himself into. The good Samaritan could have got out of helping this guy by pointing to his past and said, you did this and it brought about your current situation. It's an excuse that we use sometimes not to help people. Because there's always something we can point to and say, you should have did this. You should have made this choice. You should have made this decision. If you'd have turned right here, you wouldn't have ended up in this position. If you'd have did this differently, you wouldn't be going through what you're going through. But it's not up to us to decide whose fault it is. It's up to us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. The good Samaritan could have been paranoid. He could have been accusatory. He could have been downright spiteful. Did you know that most Orthodox Jews hated Samaritans? A, Samar a Jew, an Orthodox Jew, would walk miles out of his way just so that he didn't have to walk through Samaria, just so that he didn't have to risk talking to Samaritans. So this good Samaritan could have thought, this guy hates me. I'm not going to help him. This guy hates my people. I, I'm not going to help him. This guy's a racist. I'm not going to help him. But even though the good Samaritan had a million reasons not to help this man, there was something inside of him that simply would not allow him to pass by this man. Do you know what that was? It was the love of God. The Bible said, if you have this world's goods and seeth your brother or sister have need and shutteth up the bowels of your compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in you? We know that this Samaritan had the love of God in his heart because there was something that arrested him and would not allow him to pass by this man. 
the Good Samaritan had compassion for someone who was wounded. Now that sounds easy to do, but sometimes wounded people are not that receptive to help. Sometimes wounded people don't look like broken people. Sometimes they don't look like injured people. Sometimes they don't look like vulnerable people. Sometimes wounded people are defensive people. Sometimes they're proud people. Sometimes they're arrogant people. Sometimes they're hateful. Sometimes they're irritable. Sometimes they lash out at others. Sometimes they push others away. Sometimes hurt people hurt people. It's not always easy to show love to a wounded person. Ask any nurse. Sometimes sick people pull out their IVs, throw their bedpans across the room and cuss everyone out. What I'm saying is sometimes the person you think is mean and malicious has been hurt and wounded and as challenging as it can be, what they need most is your compassion. They don't need your criticism. They don't need your comment. They don't need your condemnation. They need your compassion. The good Samaritan showed compassion for someone who was wounded. Do you know how I as a pastor put up with attitudes and difficult personalities and weird tendencies? I try to remember that most of the time people that have attitudes and difficult personalities are, are really wounded people. Most of the time, the, the proud person is really an insecure person. Most of the time, the person pushing everyone away is the one that needs the most help. Many times, the person lashing out at everybody is the one that is scarred and wounded and damaged. Many times, wounded people don't look like Wounded people. The good Samaritan had compassion for someone who was wounded. He also had compassion for someone he disagreed with. There was very few theological issues that the Samaritans and the Jews agreed on. He had compassion for someone that he didn't agree with. One problem that we have in the church world today is this preconceived notion that affection equals agreement. So we're hesitant to show affection toward those that we disagree with because we don't want it to look like we're endorsing their choices and decisions. I, I can't be too nice to those people that I disagree with because I don't want it to look like I agree with what they're saying and doing. When they walk into my church, I can't be too kind to them because I don't want it to look like I agree with what they're saying and doing. If an addict comes in here, I, I gotta be restrained. I can't smile too much because I don't want everybody to think that I agree with using drugs. If somebody comes in here and they have sex before marriage or outside of marriage, I can't can't be too nice to them because I, I don't want everybody to think that I agree with that lifestyle. If, if an open homosexual person comes in, I, I can't be too nice lest you think that I agree. But see, what the Good Samaritan understood and what we have to understand is that at, at no point does affection equal agreement. It's okay to show compassion for those that you disagree with. Matter of fact, that's what we're all called to do. Yeah, go ahead. Give the Lord some praise. 
the Good Samaritan would have had so many things that he disagreed with this Jew on. But in this moment, he doesn't let any of those things keep him from having compassion on this man. We ought not let any argument we ought not let any conflict, we ought not let any disagreement, we ought not let any difference in mindset or outlook or opinion keep us from doing what we're called to do, which is have compassion for people. Lastly, the Good Samaritan had compassion for someone that had nothing to offer him. He didn't receive anything from this man. And actually, having compassion on this man came at a great personal cost to him. It cost him his resources, his time, and his strength. He used oil and wine, which were expensive, to sanitize and numb this man's wounds. He bandaged him up. He put him on his beast, which meant the Good Samaritan had to walk. He paid in advance for a hotel room for two or three weeks so that this man would have somewhere to stay. And he told the hotel owner, if there are any further charges, I'll settle the account when I, came back, when I come back through. See, the Good Samaritan didn't think, how little can I do? He thought, how much can I do? He didn't think, how little can I do? How little can I get by with? He said, how can I meet this man's need in every imaginable possible way? Many times when we do show compassion, it's restrained. I'll come pick you up, but I won't act like I like you. I'll give you $10 to get where you're going, but I, I'm not giving you food money and I'm not thinking about where you're going to stay. You're just going to have to figure it out when you get there. The Good Samaritan had compassion for someone who had nothing at all to offer him. Can we have compassion when someone has nothing to offer us and when having compassion for them comes at a great personal cost to us? See, it's the, the concern and the kindness and the generosity that the Good Samaritan showed that is what true, mature love stories are made of. Do you have any mature love stories of your own? Maybe you had to tell someone something they didn't want to hear and you continued to be their friend even when they didn't believe what you told them. Maybe you decided to make the difficult decision to continue to love and be married to a spouse who was unfaithful. Maybe you decided to help someone who had recently hurt you. Maybe you prayed for someone who was mean and malicious to you. Maybe when you were having a hard time loving someone, you decided to let Jesus love that person through you by your words and actions. See, as we grow in Christ, we should have more of those kind of love stories because being able to show compassion for those who have not been concerned about us is a sign of spiritual maturity. Listen, one thing that I found amazing when I first started studying the Word of God is that Paul makes it clear in his letter to the Corinthians that spiritual maturity is not determined by gifts, knowledge, faith, or sacrifice. 
Spiritual maturity is determined by our capacity to love those who don't love us. The only point on your worksheet today, the only thing I want you to focus on, if you remember this, I'll be happy even if you forget the rest of this sermon. Number one on your worksheet, love is the sole indicator of spiritual maturity. Not gifts, not knowledge, not faith, not sacrifice, love. Look at what Paul said again in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity. Anytime you see the word charity in this passage of Scripture, it is the Greek word agape, and it is speaking about unconditional love. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, though I speak in tongues and have not love, it's just sounding brass. It's just annoying noise. He said, though I have the gift of prophecy, I can read your mail better than the UPS man. And I understand all mysteries. I understand every sentence of the book of Revelation and have, and have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love. I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned and have not love, it profited me nothing. See, we promote in the church based off gifts. We promote in the church based off knowledge. We promote in the church based off faith. We promote in the church based off sacrifice. But the number one qualification for potential leaders in the church should be the ability to be kind to those who have not been kind to you. Love is the sole indicator of spiritual maturity. One thing that I think is interesting is that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite would have been the most gifted. They would have been the most knowledgeable. They would have been the most faithful. They would have been the most sacrificial. They would have been the ones with the position and the power and the authority. But it was the good Samaritan who was the most spiritually mature because only he had the ability to love those who did not love him. Love and only love is the indicator of spiritual maturity. You see, when we first get saved, we instantly develop a love for God's people. But as we grow in the Lord, we should get better and better and better at loving those who don't love us. Are you getting better at that? Some of you have been saved 30 years. You should have this down a little better than you do. Are, are you... Are you better at smiling when somebody's cussing you out? Are you better at being kind to someone who sent you a mean message last week? Are you any better at being and giving to someone, being good and giving to someone who has betrayed you in the past? Are you any better at that? As we grow in Christ, we should be better at that. See, because the Bible is filled with mature love stories. I've told you one of my own. I told you the Good Samaritan. Let me name just a few more before I give my altar call. Joseph and his brothers 
is a mature love story. Joseph's brothers betrayed him. They sold him out. They turned on him. Have you ever had someone that you relied on, counted on, and trusted turn on you? Do you remember how bad that hurts? Do you remember how much it devastates you? Joseph's brothers threw him in a pit. They discarded him like a worthless piece of trash. They decided to auction him off to the highest bidder. They sold him into slavery. As a result of what his brothers did, Joseph was falsely accused of a crime that he did not commit. As a result of what his brothers did, Joseph was thrown into prison. As a result of what his brothers did, Joseph was forgotten, alone, and abandoned. And yet when he is promoted to his position in the palace, he has an opportunity to take revenge on his brothers. But instead, he looks into their tear-filled eyes and says, don't worry about it. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He showed compassion for someone who had not shown compassion for him and in doing so displayed how spiritually mature he really was. No wonder God promoted him to the palace. See, many people want positions and titles, but they don't want to do what is necessary to get those positions and titles. If you want to be promoted in God's kingdom, get real good at smiling while people cuss you out. Get real good at having to swallow your pride and do for others what they would not do for you. There's not anything in me that believes this dude that I picked up in the middle of the snow would pick me up in the middle of the snow. But that's leadership. That's maturity. Another mature love story is that of Jose and Gomer. Jose was a prophet. Gomer was a prostitute. They got married. Because opposites attract, apparently. They got married and built a life together. They had children together. But at one point, Gomer decided to go back to her old ways, her old habits. She went back into prostitution. But things digressed to the point that she sold herself as a slave. And Jose hears that his wife is about to be auctioned off to the highest bidder and he has to decide whether to let her reap the consequences of her own actions or to go buy back what was supposed to belong to him in the first place. Jose walked into the slave market and purchased his wife. He showed concern for someone who did not show concern for him and in doing so displayed how spiritually mature he was. No wonder he was God's mouthpiece. No wonder he spoke for God. One more, another mature love story in the Bible is that of David and Saul. For years, Saul tormented David. He tracked him down. He hunted him down from village to village, from mountain to mountain. And finally, David got close enough to Saul to kill him. But in that moment, he decided not to. He decided to show concern for someone who did not show concern for him. And he displayed how spiritually mature he really was. 
which is why he was promoted as the next king of Israel. You know, we can miss on a lot of things. We can misinterpret a lot of scriptures. We can get it wrong a lot of ways. But one way we cannot get it wrong, one thing we can't miss on is love. So have you wrote any mature love stories lately? Have you been kind and concerned and compassionate for someone who did not show those things to you? It's not a message that hits you upside the head and something you've never heard before. But this is what it's about. I told you earlier in this message that Samaritans misinterpreted a lot of scripture and yet God cared more about his ability to love than his misinterpreted scripture. There is nothing else that God ranks ahead of love. When we get saved, we should have it for believers. But as we grow, we should get better and better at loving those who have hurt us and who have let us down and who have betrayed us. As they come to the music, if you're here today and you're lost, you know the greatest mature love story ever written? The love that Jesus had for each and every one of us. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Spiritual maturity is determined by our ability to show genuine concern for those who are not genuinely concerned about us, which is exactly what Jesus did when he was hanging on the cross and with his dying breath, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He was praying for those that crucified him while they were still crucifying him. see because of our choices and decisions we brought destruction into our life sin left us wounded essentially laying half dead on the side of the road and Jesus ran up to help us and we rejected him we rebelled against him we lashed out at him we didn't want what he was offering we told him we didn't need his help We'll figure it out. We'll get there on our own. We'll make it work somehow. We had nothing to offer Jesus. And loving us came at a, a great price to Him. It cost Him His life. And yet He chose to do it anyway. He chose to love us anyway. So if you're here today and you're lost, I want you to know that Jesus wants to help you. He wants to bring healing into your life. The Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. But that's not just physical healing. That's spiritual healing. That's mental healing. That's emotional healing. That's relational healing. That's healing in every sense of the word. 
So if you're here today and you're lost, would you let Jesus help you? Would you let Jesus heal you? Would you come to this altar and confess your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and receive the sacrifice that He has made on your behalf? If you're here today and you're saved, if you don't remember nothing else, remember this. Spiritual maturity is not determined by the gifts of the Spirit. I don't care how many tongues you speak in. I don't care how often you prophesy. I don't care how good you are at discernment. Spiritual maturity is not determined by knowledge. You can be real good at reciting scripture. The devil was too. You can memorize the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But if you don't have love, it means absolutely nothing. Spiritual maturity is not determined by faith. You can have faith to do signs and wonders, faith to move mountains, faith to make a way where there seemed to be none. But if you don't have love, it means absolutely Spiritual maturity is not determined by sacrifice. I don't care how much you give in the offering plate. I don't care how much you're willing to give up. Without love, it means absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed today's message. For more great messages, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music and leave us a rating and review while you're there. For more information, please visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash redemption ky.